Second uh, Corinthians uh, chapter four. We're going to look at today. And if you remember, we I've been going through this summer Second Corinthians, and uh, I'm going to a different book of the Bible. We should get the right one. And Second uh, Corinthians is basically Paul is writing. And if you remember, there's a lot of letters that Paul wrote. Little, a lot of interaction between him and the Corinthian church, and probably one of the churches he had the most challenges with that were they were um, uh, maligning his character, his ministry. Uh, they they had other priorities, and Paul, uh, in some ways, we would say. Last time I talked about how he uh, maybe it seems as though he's defending himself, but instead of really defending himself, he he makes the statement that he really doesn't need a defense. He's simply sharing. Hey, here's what here's the true nature of actual gospel ministry. Here's what my life is being poured out for. Here's what it's about. And so today's passage, I'll just be honest. Like this is probably one of the most significant texts, uh, at least for me personally in my own ministry life over the years. This is a huge text that just describes a lot. And actually, it's a section that actually begins clear back in chapter three, if we really want to do it justice. And so I skipped over. Uh, a chunk of it here, but we'll, we'll kind of describe it basically in chapter 3, and then I'm going to read it for us. But in chapter 3, right before this, he describes this beautiful and glorious ministry that God has given to him and to the church, to us. And he describes it as the, the old covenant, he describes as the ministry of death. And he says that ministry was so beautiful and so glorious that Moses uh, who was the mediator in a sense of that, Moses, uh, we, the people couldn't even look upon his face. If you remember back in Exodus, he had to put a veil over his face after he had met with God in all of his glory, and the people couldn't even look upon him. And so and that was simply to show the glory of, of this old covenant, of this ministry in the Old Testament of the, written on stones, on tablets of, of stones. And now he says, though, how much more... Is it that now in Christ, now we have this ministry of the Spirit, and we could go back to Ezekiel and Jeremiah and just talk about what that means, that God is now doing something in our lives, and our hearts. He is writing His law, His word, uh, His grace upon our hearts, not on tablets of stone. He's actually transforming us uh, by his spirit. So now we have this beautiful ministry of the spirit in which he's working in all of us. He gives us bold access to the father every second of our lives. And so there's this beautiful, glorious ministry. And now he's going to turn to chapter four and say, and so in light of that, let me tell you some stuff. Let me tell you some great stuff. So uh, if you would uh, stand with me and join me, and I'm, I'm taking my wife's advice today. So this is the first time you're going to see me with glasses on. Uh, I'm getting old, I'm getting old, and <laughs> some of you out there understand what I'm talking about, so I'm going to put my glasses on, because when I stand and read with these on, it's amazing how clear things get, and I don't have to strain, all right? So, sorry, uh, not sorry, but anyway, yeah, some of you are like, what's the big deal? have been wearing glasses your whole life, but not me. 1 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we stand, by the way, because God's word comes to us with full authority and power. It's his word to us. So let God today just speak to you through his word this morning. Therefore, chapter 4, verse 1, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, we, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. 
For in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, and life, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed, and so I spoke, we also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase in thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are temporary but the things that are unseen are eternal. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a beautiful, beautiful text this morning that we have. And God, I just pray that you would cause our hearts to be drawn to you, that you would give us, a, as our tagline says, a resolute hope in the face of overwhelming odds. That you would show us where our hope rests and that even for those who may be here today that may be depressed or discouraged or even wanting to throw the towel in, God, may you cause our hearts and our gazes to be lifted to see Jesus, to drown out all the stuff around us and just to see Jesus for who he really is and be blown away. And we pray this in your name. Amen. There's a couple sayings that you've probably heard said before. Sayings like, uh, uh, <laughs> winners never quit and quitters never win. You ever heard that? Right. Or we say something like, uh, uh, when, th- when, the- when things get tough, the tough get going. Right. See if I had about five more of these, I think we could get a little rhythm here going. You guys that have it. Um, we-, we say these kinds of things, um, but let me just think about, let me just cause us to pause. Those things, there's some truth in each of those statements, right? Absolutely some truth there. But what happens when winners, when winners want to quit? <laughs> what happens when things are hard and you want to give up? What happens when the tough really want to just roll over and shut the alarm off and stay in bed for the day? You ever, you ever been there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lots of you shaking your head, right? Um, what happens then? Uh, all of us go through moments, if, we've lived, if we're honest at all, no matter who we are, we go through moments where 
where we want to give up. We want to throw the towel in, where things seem too difficult, too high, too hard, and we all have moments where we say, forget this, man. I'm done. I'm, it's over. Um, the Apostle Paul certainly had some of those moments. And I want to just reiterate that we oftentimes take characters of the Bible and we make them these amazing, untouchable heroes of the faith, right? People that are just so amazing that I could never be like the Apostle Paul. And yet when we read our Bibles, we find out that Paul had anxiety. He was burdened by the troubles in the churches. He was concerned about the faith of the people that he had led to Christ. He was worried about the poverty that was going on in Jerusalem. He had genuine anxieties, genuine concerns, genuine burdens that were just like the burdens that you feel and I feel, just like the anxiety at times that we feel at certain moments or certain, when it seems like there's certain obstacles in front of us. And, and there are times, in fact, Paul was beaten five times for his face, stoned and left for dead. He was jailed, shipwrecked, criticized by this very church that he had given a sacrifice much to bring to Christ. So Paul had a few things to be concerned about, a few burdens to bear, a few difficulties in his life. And yet in this passage, to this church that is criticizing him and sort of trying to, to uh, malign his apostleship, to this church, he says in essence in these first few verses, he says in the first verse, do not lose heart though. We do not lose heart, he says. He says it twice in first, chapter 4, verse 1, we do not lose heart. In other words, we don't lose our hope. And he says it again in verse 16. He says it almost like bookends at the very beginning of this text. I think this is sort of a whole section. And at the end, he says it in verse 16 again, we do not lose heart. So what is it that causes a person like Paul facing the things that he's facing to not lose heart? And therefore, what can we learn from that as well? What do we need to tell ourselves? What do we need to feed our souls with? What are the things that we need to sort of preach to ourselves to help us, like Paul, to not lose heart, even when sometimes things seem insurmountable? Well, Paul's going to give us two pictures to sort of um, help us not lose heart. He gives us two little pictures. The first one is light. Uh, this may seem kind of strange, but Paul, I think he gives us these little word pictures. And light is something that goes through all throughout the Bible. We see light. Um, the Bible, in fact, says, Jesus said, I am the light of the world in John chapter 6, right? And, and then we find in Matthew that he says, because Christ is in us, that we, the church, is also a light to the world. We're a city on a hill, right? We're, we're like the lamp on a stand. It, it, it lights up everything. And so because Christ is in us, we too are those who reflect this light. And so Paul is reminding his readers, but I almost think he's like just preaching it to himself as well. Like he's just saying, reminding himself that, about this light. Listen, we're going to do this text backwards. Chapter 4, verse 6 is where we're going to start. And we're going to take the first section when it talks about this light and particularly the light of the gospel we're going to see. And we're going to go backwards through this. So we're going to start with his, his uh, final conclusion here in verse 6 of this first section about light where he says, For God who said... Let light shine out of darkness. So Paul is going all the way back to the beginning of creation. And you remember in the beginning of creation in Genesis chapter 1, it says that, that uh, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. But then it says, and, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness covered the land. 
And then what is the next thing? And God said, let there be light, right? And so, he's, so Paul's going all the way back. He's saying the same God, the God who has the power, the ability to speak light into being, into existence, is the same God, and he's relating this to your and I's salvation. He's saying it's the same God who is also shown in our hearts. He illumines our hearts, right, to give us the light. And what is the light? The light of the knowledge of the glory of God. And where do we see this? How do we get this knowledge? It's in the face of Jesus Christ. And so this, this is his conclusion in the first part. He's saying, God has done this. This is God's work. He's done this to you. He has illumined your heart. He's given you a knowledge of the glory of God. The glory of God, by the way, could simply just be defined as all that God is and, and is seen in all that God does. That's one way of looking at it. The glory of God just encompasses all of who God is in his character. And we see God's glory. It gets affirmed in everything that God does, in particular through the life of Christ, right? The Bible even says, uh, Hebrews chapter 1, when we were going through Hebrews, that, he's, that Jesus is the exact imprint. He's the radiance, right, of the glory of God. When we see Jesus, we see God. He's the picture, he's the reality, the tangible reality of who God is. And so Paul says here that God has done this in our hearts. And therefore, the second thing he says, working our way backwards, in verse 5 he says, therefore, in light of what God has done, in light of the fact that he's illumined your heart, he he has given you a knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's the only place you can know God is in Christ. In light of that, then the message that we proclaim is not about ourselves, verse 5, but it's Christ, right? He's saying we don't proclaim ourselves, but Jesus. Now, that seems like an obvious point after verse 6, doesn't it? Why Why would we stand in the face of something so glorious and so beautiful and then lift up ourselves, right? Like if you're I, I, I love to describe it like standing, I've done this many times, and so some of you have heard this before, but when you're standing in front of the Grand Canyon, right, no one brings a mirror to the Grand Canyon and does their hair, right? You don't stand looking at the vastness of the Grand Canyon and all of its beauty, it's, it's unbelievable, and you go, man, I look good. Man, you know, like no one does that, Right? No one. You don't, you don't look at Mount Rainier even, you know, when all of its glow, when the sun's coming down on it just right and go, man, am I something or what? Like, no one does that, right? So this is what Paul's like, obviously, just saying, in light of the God, of the, you know, the, the beautiful God that we have and what he has done in our hearts, the message we proclaim is not about ourselves, it's about him. We, as Paul would say elsewhere, we proclaim Christ and him crucified, right? In fact, It's not about Timberline Baptist Church. It's not only not about you individually, but it's about us collectively. It's not about Timberline or whatever other church. We don't proclaim ourselves. We don't say to the world, look at us. Look at how amazing we are. Look at our lives. Look at how we do this or how we do that. No, we call people through us to see Jesus and him alone, right? We don't lift up ourselves. We don't lift up 
ourselves collectively, but we lift up Jesus Christ. It seems obvious. And then he goes, the reason why this matters is because there's a problem. The reason why we need God to shine in our hearts, to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, is because we are blind. Our hearts are dampened. Our minds are corrupted by sin. This is what he says in verses 3 and 4 as we back up. He says, even if our gospel is veiled. Now, just so you know, back up in chapter 3, he talks about this, that there's a veil over our hearts when he's speaking about the Israelites. He says that there's a veil over their hearts. That when the, when the word of God is read, they don't see it because their hearts are covered in this veil. And it says, but when one turns to the Lord, when one sees Jesus, the veil is lifted, right? And so he says here that even though, even though, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. And in verse 4, and in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the, glory, uh, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. There's like sermons in sermons in this, right? The light of the gospel of the glory of God, in Jesus, or the glory of Christ, who's the image of God. Like it's just this, it's just, the language is unreal, right? And so, and so he's saying here that our minds, the problem is our minds are darkened and dim, and therefore we need God to do this work. It is only God who can shine this light that dispels the darkness of our hearts, that dampens our minds, that is corrupted by the God of this world. And then verse 2, therefore, so in light of all of this, in light of the fact that God illumines our hearts, in light of the fact that it's all about Jesus, in light of the fact that we need this because our minds and hearts are darkened by sin, um, here's our strategy, he says. Here's the strategy. He says, he says it positively and negatively. He starts negatively. He says, we have renounced, so we've gotten away from, we will not do this, disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. To be underhanded means to work in secret, right? To work sort of sneaky-like. To be cunning means to achieve one's ends or one's goals by deceit, right? I call this the, uh, as churches uh, years ago anyway, when I first became a Christian, we had this really cool thing. We would do what I call the bait and switch. You know, like you invite somebody over to your house, you know, and they're thinking, oh, we're just going to go over and have some lunch, you know, and next thing you know, some dude's standing up there preaching the gospel. That's called a bait and switch. That's a little bit underhanded, right? <laughs> it's a little sneaky, right? Say, so, hey, come and come to this event, you know, we're going we're gonna to have play, you know, we're going to have water sports, we're going to have some fun, and then all of a sudden, uh, we got this captive audience and we didn't tell them, oh yeah, by the way, <laughs> We're going to bombard you now with the gospel, which seems really noble, but it's really underhanded and disgraceful and cunning, right? The reality is that's not the way the gospel ministry is supposed to go. That's not the way we're to be as Christians. Paul tells us, he says, we should not do this, and we should not tamper with God's word. In other words, we shouldn't somehow manipulate and twist God's word to make it palatable to ourselves or to others, right? We shouldn't tamper with it. We shouldn't use God's word to get the point that we want to be made across, right? That's maybe more of our trouble, right? It's not so much that we are twisting it this way. We have an agenda in mind, and we find ways that God's Word supports what I think to be the case versus simply letting God's Word 
deal with us and change us and be what it is. In fact, here's what Paul says. Here's what we do. In light of this beautiful ministry, he says, our strategy is simply to be forthright. <laughs> right? Um, and by forthright, you've heard me say this before, but forthright doesn't mean just blasting out the truth, right? That, that Paul, and Peter actually says in, in 1 Peter, he says that we need to do this with gentleness and respect anytime we're sharing with people. Gentleness and respect, like Jesus, kind of, you know? Like that's kind of the point here, which is going to be what we're going to see later. He says we need to be forthright. I love what he says in verse, uh, look at verse 5 there, or verse uh, 2. He says, but, but by an, the open statement of the truth... I love this. By an open statement of the truth, we just are honest. We're forthright. But listen to what he says after that. We would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience. Do you get the the double picture there? It's not just because I said some true things to somebody. That's what matters. But I'm actually commending my life as well to them. I'm commending myself to their conscience. You can go out and you could talk to people about who Jesus is. But what's even more effective is when they see Jesus in you. When they see you loving and caring and actually putting on display the very reality of who Jesus is. That's what gives credibility to the open statement of the truth. And I love how Paul puts these two things together. It's not one or the other. In fact, I think, I think this is part of the trouble sometimes in the way we share the gospel, is that we need to demonstrate just as importantly as saying the truth, we need to demonstrate the truth in our lives or we have no credibility whatsoever, not in this world at all. And so he says, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience. I love that, how we commend it to everyone's conscience. Um, someone may be really down on Jesus, right? That happens sometimes in the world, right? Occasionally, every day, every week. And some people may be really down on us as Christians, but you know what dispels all of that? You know what makes it really difficult for someone to hate you and hate what you believe? Is to love them. To live your life in such a way that it makes it, you're, you're commending it. Again, you're commending yourself. You're commending the gospel to their conscience. It's difficult for someone to hate you while you love them while you care for them, while you serve them. In fact, going back to our verse 5, where he says we don't proclaim ourselves, but we proclaim Jesus as Lord. Notice that. There's the proclamation, Jesus is Lord, but he, he couples this again with actions as well. He says, and ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. Right? So you're not, we're not just telling people, believe in Jesus, believe in Jesus. No, he says, and, and we are also showing them Jesus by we are servants for Jesus' sake. And we're going to see that play out in the second half of this as well. And then lastly, in this first section on light, we see the why. I love this part. He says, therefore, that is in light of this beautiful gospel ministry, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart you, you can't overstate what verse 1 means. This ministry that God has given to us, the He, right? God who said, let light shine out of darkness, is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And the fact that God is now working through us 
to show that light. He, his work through the spirit of drawing other people to Jesus comes through our lives. By, by how we show Christ to other people, he is drawing people to himself. And he says, and this beautiful ministry that we have, it's not ours. <laughs> it's not ours. He says, you have this ministry purely by the mercy of God. It's his deal. Isn't that, why do we not lose heart in light of that? Because it doesn't rest on you, right? And we're going to see this even more powerfully in, in the next uh, section here. That, that it doesn't rest on us. It is, this ministry is something that is a grace to us. It is by God's mercy and because it's God's ministry that we get the privilege of participating in, we don't lose heart because God is doing this. It's God who said, let light shine, right? God's the one who does it and we get to be a part of that and therefore we, we don't have to be discouraged because the outcomes of ministry of any church or any individual is not in our hands. We do not own or control the outcomes, right? God calls us to be faithful. He calls us to love people, and he's in charge of the outcomes, and therefore we can rest. We can be confident. Um, So that's the first picture that Paul's going to give us to why we do not lose heart, but here's the second, probably my favorite. I don't know how you can say favorite after the last one, but the second one is a treasure, this treasure. I love this This is a great paradox in this text. A paradox is basically a seemingly contradictory or logically unacceptable thing, right? You put things together that contradict each other and logically don't make sense, right? So we have here treasure, something really, really valuable. And then we also have here a jar of clay, something not valuable at all, (laughs) Um, and then, and then we have this surpassing power in this first verse, verse 7, right? So you got these three things, a treasure, jars of clay, and surpassing power. Surpassing power, by the way, means that it's ultimate power. There's no other power like it. It's, it's above every other power, right? And so the treasure that he's speaking of, I think we could easily look back all the way from chapter 3 through the first part we just read. The treasure is the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who's the image of of God, right? So we have this beautiful treasure, the light, the knowledge of the glory of God. Like We have this beautiful treasure in the gospel, the good news that Jesus came to this earth and lived and died in our place on the cross for our sins, that by faith in him, we are invited into the life of Christ, invited into a, a life like no other life. And so we have this treasure, this beautiful, glorious treasure and then he says, in jars of clay. Now, I've gotten to go to a few archaeological digs. And you know that at an archaeological dig, when they dig up these uh, sites all around the world, um, the thing that they find that's most common is clay. Because <laughs> it's simple to make, it's practical, and it's throwaway. Right? Literally, at archaeological sites, that you just find it everywhere. Right? It's just because it's got used, it broke, they made some more. It's, it's sort of this uh, very fragile but very useful thing, but very fragile thing. And so it really is a strange paradox to go, we have this incredible treasure 
this beautiful gospel, this message of God's grace and love towards humanity, and, and it's housed in jars of clay. But Paul says the reason why that's the case is to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. In other words, God intentionally houses and trusts this glorious message in jars of clay, which is, by the way, is us. So I like to call it, it's cracked pots. That's what it really is, because they cracked, right? So, so we're a bunch of cracked pots, cracked pots, <laughs> get that right. We're a bunch of cracked pots, right? And we're fragile. Uh, we, we are fragile, right? We're broken at times. And yet God has intentionally intended to, to house this beautiful, glorious treasure of the gospel in cracked pots. And the reason why he did that is so the cracked pots can't brag, right? It's to show that the power of this ministry, the power of this life lived in Christ is, is God and not us. We cannot pat ourselves on the back, which goes back to our previous thing. It is God who said, let light shine in darkness, and God has shown in our hearts. He's done this work. We can't take credit for it. We can't pat ourselves on the back, and so we need to stop doing that, right? You cannot look at your neighbor or your friends or your coworkers and go, man, if they could only get their act together, I've got it all figured out, right? No, it's purely an act of grace, as we saw in the first verse. That, but it is, it is the, the whole life, Christian life, is lived in such a way as to show God's power, that, that this ministry is His. And so we have these earthen clay vessels that house this beautiful reality, and that reality is intended to point people to the surpassing power of God at work, Right? That, that's, that's the picture we get here. Now Paul's going to illustrate this in his own experience. He's going to give us a personal testimony here. He's going to show us in verses 8 and 9. Look at what he says there. He says, we, so in light of this, this reality, let me just tell you about how fragile we are. This is what Paul's sort of doing. He's showing them. Now again, the Corinthians were also criticizing Paul because he suffered a lot. And if you remember back, they were criticizing because they thought, well, you must not be doing stuff right if you're getting beat up every once in a while. Like something's wrong, right? And Paul shows the opposite of that. But here, he's going to give a testimony that shows, that highlights, by the way, the power of God, not his own strength and personal resilience, right? He's going to show the power of God. So he says in verse 8, we are afflicted, he's speaking of himself and his companions, we're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. In other words, uh, you could say he's squeezed, but not squashed, right? Things are tough, but it's not so tough that he's done in, right? That, that's what he's saying. So it's hard, we're afflicted, but we're not crushed. He says we're, we're persecuted, um, or no, per, we're perplexed, I love this word, we're perplexed, but not driven to despair, Despair is where you lose all hope. He says, but we are perplexed. The word perplexed means confused. You ever been confused by things that go on in your life and in the world? Like, he's saying we're perplexed at times. I mean, when you're, when you're uh, beaten and left for dead out in the, you know, for, because you did good to people, uh, you're perplexed a little bit, right? You're kind of confused about what God's 
you know, got going on here for you. And so he's perplexed, but he's not perplexed or confused or confounded or bewildered to the point of despair, meaning he hasn't lost hope. In fact, he just said, we do not lose heart. Why? Well, he's going to tell us even more here. He says, we're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. In other words, we're, we're pursued, we're hunted down. We're, in fact, Paul was actually being pursued. Uh, the Jewish people were, the, the leaders of the synagogue were actually going from town to town and stirring up trouble. He was being pursued, being hunted, but he says, but we're not forsaken. In other words, uh, we, we're not abandoned by God, nor by our companions, by the, by the church. He says, we're not forsaken. Then he says, we're struck down, but we're not destroyed. In other words, you could say, we're whacked, but we're not knocked out. <laughs> We've been hit, Right? But we're not fully, you know, it's not, they're not counting yet, right? Uh, we, haven't, we haven't fully gone down for the, for the count. Uh, that sounds like a wonderful resume, right? Let me just share a testimony with you, church. Uh, you know, I've been <laughs> afflicted but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted, not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. I've been through some stuff, but, but not to the point of throwing in the towel. I have not lost hope. In fact, just, just remind, like, this is, this is showing that Paul is enduring. He is being resilient, but it's not highlighting him. It's highlighting the power of God. Uh, in fact, in all of those incidents that he's referring to, it is in the very difficult moments that God's power is being revealed to the people around him, including this church. God's power is seen in Paul's weaknesses, remember the whole theme of this? It's when we are weak, then we are strong. In Paul's weaknesses, it's in per being perplexed and being squeezed but not squashed. Like it's in all of these incidents, all of these things that, that Paul is highlighting, not his own strength, but he's highlighting the power of God, the surpassing power of God in his own life. In fact, let me just put it this way. It's a, I call this the great exchange in some ways. Paul is going to give us this, this incredible picture of what could be called the, greatest, the great exchange. Uh, that He says in verse 10, always carrying, this is another thing, like we go, yes, I want this to be me. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. Isn't that great? Always carrying in our bodies the death of Jesus. Why? So that, he says, verse 10, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies as well. Death or life comes by death, right? And so he says, in, we are in our bodies. We are constantly carrying the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be in us. He says, for we who live are always given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal, mortal bodies. Think about this. Um, what Paul just described of his own life perplexed but not driven to despair, all those things. Um, this is the picture of Jesus' life, right? Jesus was squeezed and perplexed and persecuted and struck down, right? He, he was given over to death. But why? So that life would be given, right? He, he, was, he was squeezed, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, but his resurrection life, he was not crushed. He was not to, didn't get to the end. He was not forsaken and he was not destroyed. So death, 
brought life. Suffering brings life. Paul is, is comparing his own life to the life of Jesus. He's saying, we carry in our bodies the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest. And then I love what he says at the end. He says, so death is at work in us, but life in you. Listen to that. What Paul's saying is, hey, Corinthians, the ones who are actually criticizing him and putting him down, he's saying, when we came here and we proclaimed the gospel, we gave up, we sacrificed our life. Death was in us. We were persecuted, you know, struck down, but not destroyed. All these things happened. He says, death was in us, but so that life could be in you. We carry the death of Jesus for the sake of others so that they would have life. We sacrifice We care for people. We are inconvenienced in our lives. We suffer so that other people may actually experience the life of Jesus as well. Paul's reminding them of this reality. Death is at work in us. It's that great exchange, death for life. We give our lives. In fact, we we the 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 testimony of the gospel is that we die to ourselves, right? So that we may be transformed by the Spirit and we may live for Christ for the sake of others, right? And so, so Paul is confidently declaring that his, his life and his experience, it simply looks like Jesus. You've heard me say this a lot, but I'm like, our lives need to look and, and smell and be like Jesus, right? When people are around us, may they, may they experience the very life of Christ. May they experience the joy of Christ, May they experience the care and the love and the concern of Christ through our lives. May our lives look like his, and may our ministry look exactly like his as well. And then lastly, or not quite lastly, but verse 13. Paul gives the reason for his confidence and the reason for ours. I love this. He says, so, so we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written I believed and so I spoke. Paul, Paul's actually quoting here. He's going back. He's gone all the way to Genesis so far. Now he's going back to Psalm 116, in which the psalmist also said the very same words. So I, I believed and so I spoke. Paul's saying the same, we have the same spirit of faith as they did, and be, we believe and therefore we speak. He says, so we also believe just like they did, and so we also speak. And when he, when he's, but he basically what he's saying is that because we believe, we must also then speak. We must also talk about this. We must also proclaim. He says, so we believe, we also speak. And why can we speak with confidence? Knowing, listen to the confidence that he has, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us into his presence one day. Paul's absolute confidence in speaking is, is from a place of faith, but his faith is in the fact that the very God who raised Jesus from the dead is one day going to raise us also with him, that we may be face to face with him forever and ever and ever. And all the ills and all the struggles and all the persecutions and all the confusion and all the things that perplex us, all of those things will be gone. He will wipe away our tears from our eyes and we will experience everlasting joy in his presence. No more weeping, no more sorrow, no more suffering, no such thing. And so Paul says, because of that confidence, because of our faith, because we believe that, we speak 
We speak freely. We speak forthrightly with people. And then, and then he says, this is, this is crucial, verse 15. For it is all for your sake. We're, we're servants of Jesus, right? But what for? Paul's saying to the Corinthians, it's for you. All of this is for you. So that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. The whole point of your life, the whole point of Jesus saving you at all, the whole point of this beautiful gospel of the glory of Christ who's the image of God, the whole point of that in your life, the whole reason why God has shine, shine, shown light into your, you know, illumined your heart so that you could have the knowledge of the glory of, of God in the face of Jesus Christ, the whole point of that is for their sake. So for your neighbor, for your friend, for the homeless person that you pass on the way home today, for the person who, who just lost everything, for the person suffering of cancer, it's for their sake. Because as grace goes to more and more and more people, thanksgiving increases, right? And it increases to the glory of God. Right? This, this is why we exist. There's no other reason it's for their sake. It's for your neighbor. When you go home today and you wave to your neighbor over the fence, it's for his sake, for her sake. Your life is lived. You have been given this light of the knowledge of the glory of God so that they may know, so that they may know the hope that you have. And you can talk about it and you can live confidently because the the one who is working in you is the same one who raised Jesus from the dead. I think he's got this. <laughs> he's got this covered. And then Paul, Paul ends it by saying again, the bookend, so we don't lose heart. We don't lose heart. You know, the odds are stacked against us in every way, but not against God. <laughs> right? the, the mountains that feel hard for us to climb... God flattens those out, right? It's not hard for God, right? Uh, he can get us through. And so, so he says, in light of this amazing reality, we don't lose heart. Um, and I love this. He's, he, he points us again. Why do we not lose heart? As if he hasn't said enough. It's like, it's like, the, it's like the preacher that just has one more point, right? It's like, what, just one more. You know, it almost feels like you should just stop at verse 16 so we don't lose heart. End of story. Let's pray. Let's take communion. We're out. No, no, but one more thing. <laughs> he says, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Catch that? This outer self, and man, do I feel that, right? And so that outer self is wasting away. It's amazing, too. I can't hardly see these. I'm writing. Um, our outer self is wasting away. Everything in this world is wasting away. You, you ever notice things don't get better? I mean, there are some things that do get better, right? Don't, don't say nothing, but, but the physical reality of our own lives and our own existence, they don't get better, right? It, it, gets, it gets worse. And he says, so this outer self is wasting away, but the thing that, that remains, the thing that never grows old, the thing that's only going to get better forever and ever and all of eternity is this internal, this inner thing, this reality of the spirit in you 
that God is renewing you day by day. It's, he says, so it's, all this outer stuff is wasting away, but the inner self, it's being renewed day by day, right? And, then, and so because of that, he simply says, so uh, this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So now I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life when I read that, this light and momentary affliction and I was ticked. Because I don't know about you, but there's times in my life, and I'm sure in some of your lives, that your afflictions do not seem light and momentary. They seem to be crushing blows that don't seem to ever go away, and it seems as though they never will go away. The discouragement or the depression or the struggle that you've had or felt, right, can sometimes seem as though it's not light. And so when you, when you hear Paul say that, if, you just, if we took this out of context, in fact, and we just have somebody read, hey, don't worry, brother, these afflictions you're facing, they're just light and they're momentary. You know, you'll be fine, right? Uh, that's not very compassionate. And that's not what Paul's saying. He's not saying it flippantly. You remember, this is the Paul who just said, we're persecuted but not crushed. We're struck down but not destroyed. We're, we're you know, perplexed but not driven to despair. Like this is the Paul who's saying, I know how hard life can be. I know that there are crushing blows in your life. There are discouragements. There's confusion. There's frustration. There's anger, right? There are things that are going on in your life. I know that this is true, but in light of eternity, in light of the, the glory of the gospel, in light of the fact that one day we will be face-to-face and God will take care of all of those things. And in fact, the, the being face-to-face with Jesus someday is, is so glorious, apparently, that it can be compared to the afflictions that we face and be called light and momentary. Not because these things are not hard. Paul's not saying that. We know that. But in light of that, this this can be seen. And one day, we will stand on the other side, and we will look at this stuff, and we'll go, wow, it was just like that. This is momentary. But now, forever and ever, we have Jesus. And he says, these afflictions are light and momentary. He says, they're preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Like that word, that whole phrase, eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Nothing can compare to being face-to-face with our God. And then he says, as we look. So in the meantime, right, we're looking forward to that, but we're still alive here today. Like we're still breathing air and upright. As uh, my friend always said in South Dakota, we're on this side of the sod. You know, I'd ask me, how are you doing? Well, I'm on the right side of the sod. And I was always like, is it the right side? I don't know. The other side, it's going to be pretty amazing. But anyway, um, But as we look currently, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. What is to be our hope and our focus? It is to be to look to that which is not seen. Don't get so fixated on the stuff going on here. Look to that which is unseen. And then he just simply says, for the things that are seen are transient or temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So our, our demeanor is to look to Jesus, to look to that which is ultimate, to look to that which is eternal. Why do we not lose heart? I don't think we have to say. <laughs> Pretty obvious, right? So Paul, in the face of what he's dealing with in this church and in his own life, Paul says, in light of this hope, 
in light of this, this resolute hope that we have in Christ because of what he has done in us and is doing through us and will do forever and ever and one day completely in his presence. In light of that, we don't lose hope. We don't lose heart. We take everything to Jesus and we look to him. We look to that which is unseen, not to the things that are seen. Because the things that are seen, frankly, can get really depressing, right? Right? Um, I was thinking about this, like, I've been painting my house. And uh, thanks to some help here, I got a nice 32-foot ladder. And I'm up there, I'm thinking to myself, like, I do not like doing this. I don't want to paint any more houses ever again. Like, that's just my aim, right? I'm like, I don't want to do this again. But, you know, in light of $8,000 versus me doing it myself, you know, I'm, I'm cheap. And so I'm like, but, but honestly, the, the physical, visible things of this world can be a bit discouraging, right? And daunting, right? We constantly happen to take care of things that are just these tangible, physical things that somehow weigh us down. Paul's saying, don't, don't let these things weigh you down. They're just temporary. My house isn't going to be here forever. I'm not going to need it forever. It's okay. It's okay. Look, look to me. I'm doing a work that you can't even comprehend. And so even in painting our houses and taking care of the physical things of this world, let us do it in such a way as to just show Jesus. Do it with grace, with joy. I think, Christy, right? Joy? I don't know. When I dropped the, uh, when the handle broke on the thing yesterday, it was not very much joy. But anyway, I need Jesus. <laughs> I continue to need Jesus just like we all do, right? Um, we're going to take a moment today, though, to, to, I'm going to pray in a minute. We're going to take communion, and this is the moment we come to the table, and it's just a reminder of everything that Paul's just saying. Why, why does this matter? Why do we not lose heart? Because, because we have a God who's loved us so deeply, like that he left heaven and took on flesh and lived among us as one of us, that we might know the Father, that we might know Him. And not only that, but the obstacles, and there were obstacles called sin in the way of us actually knowing the Father. And our God came to this earth and took on flesh, and He Himself, in our place, died on a cross. He dealt with those barriers. He took away sin, that everyone who believes in Him will not die, but will live, right? And this is what He told uh, Mary or Martha in John chapter 11, he says, I'm the, Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die, right? You're going like, wait a minute, didn't Lazarus die? Yeah, he did. <laughs> but he's talking about the things which are unseen. You will have eternal life forever. And Jesus has accomplished that on the cross and through his resurrection giving us eternal life forever. So when we come here, let us rejoice. Let us celebrate what God has done in Christ on our behalf. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your son, Jesus. Thank you for his life. Thank you for his death that brings us life. And thank you, God, for, for the light that you have shown in our hearts. And I pray, God, that, that, that we, because of Christ, we can see and know you but God, I pray that when we leave here today, that we would go out as light, that we would reflect this glorious light of the gospel to our neighbors and to our friends and to everyone around us. Everything that we do, God, matters. 
And so let us do it with joy and let us do it restfully, knowing that you're the one who's in charge of outcomes. So make us faithful, God. Make us faithful. In fact, do things in and through our lives that, as Paul says, will show that the surpassing power belongs to you and not to us. May we have no reason to pat ourselves on the back, but God, may everything in our lives point to Jesus, to his surpassing power. And we pray this in your name. Amen.